Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, which is just a week and change out from the end of this month. And after that, it's just a few short days before we get the official debut of season two of I Am Groot over on Disney Plus beginning on September 6th. Now, you got to see season one of these shorts last year, right, Aaron? Yep. Yep. Okay. And <laughs> again, uh, forgive me, folks, if we keep reusing the word short here, because previous season of the show was five, six-minute long shorts. Now, Tunado is reporting that season two consists of just five episodes. However, this time around, the total running time for all five of these shorts is just 15 minutes. So we went from six minute long shorts to, I guess this time around three minute long shorts. Kind of like uh, as quick as a Peanuts comic strip, mm. you know, just a few frames to give you the setup and then a punchline and then credits. And that's okay. I'm hoping this is wrong because it's Kirsten Lepore. Uh, she wrote and directed all five of the shorts in season one. She's back to do the, the the next five. And given that she's driving the bus on these and how much fun the last set were, I'm sure that they'll be fun. Just maybe three minutes long this time around. I mean, do we need an hour-long series of Groot every week? I don't think so. Uh, Just a little chuckle, a little something to get your day going. Okay. All and right. the other thing is, you know, honestly... Small bite-sized content is easier for someone to consume and tweet about mm -hmm. than long-form things. Also, you get better reviews because you don't have this lull or drag or, you know, they're just, they, they either work and, and zing or they don't. And so I think that they're they're going to, A, they're going to work, they're going to zing, mm -hmm. people are going to be able to watch them quickly and effectively tweet about them, and let it be what it is and just have a, a good quick moment with a, a friend from the Marvel Universe. I think it'll be okay. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, conversely, though, the Blue Beetle, which just came out this past weekend, that's two hours and 17 minutes long, seemed to actually get decent reviews. It came in number one at the box office for the weekend just ahead of Barbie. Not exactly setting the world on fire. $30 million stateside, $18 million overseas, and poor James Gunn, once again, had to hop on the internet and deal with trolls that I guess there was a rumor making the rounds about how there had previously been a Ben Affleck voice cameo in uh, this film as Batman, and supposedly because of what had just been done with The Flash, you know, the various things that got cut out of that film. Gunn hopped on X, Twitter, whatever you're calling it these days, and said, I never heard of a Ben Affleck voice cameo in Beetle, nor has Peter, uh, his partner, Peter Safran, the co-CEOs of the, the DCU universe, and much less cut one. I, I never heard of one because one never existed, and I just asked the producers about this. So I don't think anybody's going to a Blue Beetle movie for a Batman cameo. You're probably not wrong, but I guess what's kind of frustrating or, or must be frustrating for Mr. Gunn is he's got the script written for his his Superman movie. He had begun casting it, and now 
between the actor strike and the writer strike, this, like everything else in town, is shut down. So what can you do with your time? You can go on the internet and basically put out fires, but... Yeah, do damage control for movies that you had nothing to do with yeah, the making of. That's just not fun. I just started working at Dairy Queen. Why are people giving me flack about blizzards all of a sudden? What the hell is this blizzard thing all about? I had nothing to do with the Reese's Pieces being added to that. That's not my bag. I just make them now. What the hell? Yeah, it's it seems really weird that he is having to defend everything, and he hasn't even done anything yet. Wait until he actually has a hand in something. And then he has to defend it. You know, I mean, then then the claws will come out. Excellent point. Excellent point. Okay, so again, we were just talking about how season two of I Am Groot debuts on Disney Plus on September 6th. But the day before that is when the Blu-ray of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse finally hits store shelves. So again, that's Tuesday, September 5th. And and remember, I, I believe it's it's uh, Drew Taylor, my, my co-host on Fine Tuning, uh, likewise the co-host of the, the, the Light Diffuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But he was the one who said that, I, I think it's Guillermo de Toro who said that buying physical media is a moral imperative these days. So, uh, you know, we all have to go out and buy a physical copy of the Sony Pictures animation project. Wait a minute, do, do, do I get to tell Guillermo that he needs to buy me a new wing for my <laughs> media room? I've already got one room dedicated to physical media. I'm trying to stop that. Is he is he going to buy us a new wing to help no. uh, achieve this lofty goal? No, I, I don't know. I'm so glad you brought this up because I remember us having a conversation very early on uh, in, in the life of this podcast about how your MCU library, film library, is is largely digital, right? No, well, it's my film library of Marvel movies stopped mm -hmm. physically when Disney Plus came out. As soon as I subscribed to Disney Plus, that was the last time I purchased a Marvel film on Blu-ray, mm -hmm. DVD, etc. Okay. And I had up until like a couple of maybe a couple of years before that mm -hmm. had started purchasing everything you know digitally so i could just stream it from anywhere on planet earth the only thing i've purchased since then have been uh spider-man films on physical because I, I just have to own everything with the spider-man logo on it and that's just a thing okay that's a psychological problem i'm dealing with my doctors about that <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm 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 doing the same thing. I mean, it's it's one of these things where, for example, I, I bought a copy of Disney's Strange World, which I I won't lie to you, I saw in theaters, and you know it's the old Muppet joke to the effect I've seen better film on teeth. But at the same time, it's like I want animators to be employed. So it's like, okay, buy a copy, bring it to the house, put it on the pile, never look at it again. Well, the, the uh, physical media, uh, the one benefit to that still is they, they st still are doing a fairly decent job with the special features and the extras. That is true. That when is I true. buy a, a digital thing on Apple, I usually get the movie, and I'll be lucky if it, under the extras it shows the damn trailer mm -hmm. for the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, physical media, the things like the extras totally would, would buy for something if it was like, like the, I always default to the Lord of the Rings special edition special features where it's like, you know, six to eight hours oh, of yeah. special yeah. features. That is my jam. I would buy that physical copies of that all day long. Mm -hmm. If if there's a movie that wants to go that deep into the making of, mm -hmm. I will absolutely go out and buy the physical copy for that. Well, here's the thing that makes me crazy. 
we have here at the house a wall of like for example the disney animated films done in vhs form we have a rack of stuff that was done on dvd and then we have blu-ray and what makes me absolutely crazy is when they re-release a film in a new format and the special features don't necessarily carry over and so you got to keep all of it that's it exactly and to be honest I'm not sure I have access these days to a VHS machine that works. And so I literally have things I can't look at. And I remember there are interviews, there are extra features, there are behind-the-scenes stuff. My job is telling pointless stories, and I need access to this material. And the the notion of, you know, in fact, I I remember having a a conversation uh, with... Becky Klein, the, the head archivist for the Walt Disney Company, she, t- she says, welcome to my nightmare. I have eight tracks. I have cassettes, formats for these things that, A, I can't get things to play them on, or B, they're just physically falling apart. Yeah, my whole entire radio career, by the way, is on cassette. Oh. And my cassette deck is not has not been hooked up in my studio in about 20 years. Oh. So, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, I do have a cassette deck and I could pull it out, but it becomes, hey, do you have uh, something from 32nd Street, a commercial from back in the day? It's like, yeah, I do on cassette and I'll be damned if you're going to hear it because yeah. <laughs> I'm not putting it all together, wiring it up to the studio, transferring it over to digital, cleaning up the noise, all that crap. Yeah, it's just not worth it. I'd rather make it from scratch. No, I get that. But at the same time, I in the basement, I have interviews Again, I've been doing this for 40 plus years and, you know, interviews with Imagineers and animators that are long gone. And every so often, you know, just the the whole notion of do I want to go into the basement? Do I want to check to see if those recordings are are still playable? And if so, I've got I can help you out if you've got anything on reel to reel. I've got two reel to reel decks. I can spin them suckers off in a red hot minute. There we go. No, no, no. (laughs) See, I I bet on the wrong antiquated technology all in this studio. (laughs) Yeah, man, bet on the wrong horse. Okay. Anyway, we're going to get back to Marvel in a moment here, folks. But first, want to remind you, news portion of today's show is brought to you by Touring Plan's own travel agency. If you think you're heading back to the Walt Disney Resort in the not-too-distant future, then these obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation. Uh, They'll even toss in a a free subscription to Touring Plan. So if you're planning on visiting Central Florida anytime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Okay, so this info is shared in Thor Love and Thunder, the official movie special. A screen rant somehow got a hold of an advanced copy of this 96-page book from Titan, which won't officially hit store shelves till next month, uh, September 19th. But as part of this look back at Thor Love and Thunder, Taika Watiti got asked what he would do if Marvel Studios asked him to return to direct Thor 5. Now, want to stress here that uh, to our knowledge, there is no Thor 5 in development at this time. In fact, if what Bob Iger said back in March at the Morgan Stanley Technology Media and Telecom Conference, it's very likely we're, we're not going to see another standalone Thor film anytime soon. Uh, here's what, what Iger had to say, that sequels typically worked well for us, but Do you need a third or a fourth, for example, or is it time to maybe turn to 
other characters and there's nothing in any way inherently off in terms of the Marvel brand. I think we just have to look at what characters and stories we're mining. And if you look at the trajectory of Marvel over the next five years, you'll see a lot of newness. Uh, we're going to turn back to the Avengers franchise, but with a whole new set of Avengers. So anyway, uh, to continue on with if the MCU does decide to make a Thor 5 and Kevin Feige, if he were to ask Taika Waititi to come back and, and direct a third installment of the Pacific series, what would Taika do with that opportunity? Waititi, at least what he revealed in the, the official film book, I, he's not sure. And here's the quote. What's fun about working with Thor is that this MCU character has a casualness and a sort of a swagger about him. That's why when Thor visits these worlds and encounters aliens, well, he just doesn't act the same as an Earthling might if that character were traveling through space exploring the universe. But, but that said, what is left to do with Thor? If I were to tackle a fifth film in this series, we'd need to continue the evolution of the character in a fun way, mind you. But at the same time, Thor is the god of thunder. So coming up with obstacles that a Marvel character with those sorts of superpower has to genuinely struggle to overcome, that's tough. That's why were we to do a fifth film in this series... This movie's villain would have to be more powerful than, say, Hela. That's the only way we could challenge Thor, get that character to step up his game, especially after what happened in Love and Thunder. And on a parallel track, Chris Hemsworth, in an interview that he did with Entertainment Weekly back in June, basically kind of echoed this sentiment. Again, it's the effect of, I honestly don't want to continue with the Thor movies or if people are so exhausted that they then roll their eyes whenever they, they see me come on screen as that character. If an audience really wants to see a Thor 5 and there's something we can come up with story-wise that's fun and exciting, then great. I, I'd love to play this character a few more times. I just don't want whatever we do next with this character to be, well, predictable. I don't know if you saw the news that just broke about uh, Hemsworth's most recent film for Netflix, Extraction 2. That dropped on that streaming service back on, on June 16th. That's now in the number 10 spot for Netflix's most popular original films. And what's interesting is it's right behind... The first Extraction movie, that, which debuted back in, in April of 2020, that's in the number nine spot. And that was viewed 135.7 million times in the first 91 days. It was available for downloading off of that stream. So clearly there's a hunger out there for films featuring Chris Hemsworth, which, which is why making a Thor 5 might actually make sense for Marvel Studios. But but again, given what Bob Iger's been saying lately, especially given what's been going on with the limited series from Marvel Studios, you have to wonder what is going to happen next at Marvel Studios, especially after all of these strike-delayed projects finally clear the runway. 
I'll tell you what what's going on. Like Kevin Foggy right now is just thinking to himself, mm-hmm. I just got to outlive Iger's reign. <laughs> Once that man is out the door, the rules change and a new dude comes in or new, a new female will come in and they'll have a different idea about how things should go. And I will have to convince that king or queen in that moment, I need more Marvel money. I used to have enough and then they took it away. And things are getting harder, not easier. And we want to do bigger and things like Secret Wars. And I can't do that with less money. So please, new figurehead king, queen person, give me more money. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's rather insightful. Well, I've worked with an asshole before that I was just like, I just got to last longer than you. <laughs> you know, I've had that mentality at wow. work before. Right? Okay. <laughs> I think we've all been there, but. Exactly. Okay. So, well, let's switch back to Mr. Iger for a moment. Okay. So recently, uh, when he was on CNBC being interviewed by David Faber, he started off by saying, in regard to the MCU, there have been some disappointments. And, of course, what's unsaid here is, I'm looking at you, Secret Invasion. He then goes on to say, we would have liked uh, some of our more recent uh, releases to perform better. And what's interesting is that is largely about how Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania did at the box office, not Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He then goes on to say, what happened with Marvel's most recent theatrical releases is not a question of quality, a reflection of the stories told in these films, but rather in our zeal to basically grow our content significantly so we then have shows that would then tempt people to sign up for our subscription streaming service. We then wound up taxing Marvel fans way beyond in terms of their time and their focus way beyond where they had been before, which then diluted their focus and attention. So this is basically Iger saying the quiet part out loud that between all of the theatrical releases and the limited series uh, from Marvel Studios, there's now just too much Marvel content out there. I think the dude's never been in a comic book store. I was in a, our local one just last week because they're getting ready to move like five miles down the road. So they're having a big, huge sale. So I went and bought up a, a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. real, real cheap. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, there, there's a lot of stuff out there. Like if you're a Spider-Man fan, mm-hmm. you've got like 30 different choices per month on a Spider-Man title. If you're a you know fan of Iron Man, there's like five different choices. My wife is a big fan of of Batman. Mm-hmm. She found this series called Nightmares mm-hmm. that we had never heard of. That's apparently rather new, and uh, they got a bunch of special limited edition covers. And she bought all of that out just because. Oh, that's a crazy looking Joker, mm-hmm. or oh, that's a crazy looking Batman. And so, uh, yeah, Mr. Iger, let's go to a comic book store. Let me show you that they've got 9 million different options to choose from on a monthly basis. Uh, The number of shows that you're putting out isn't the question. It's the quality of the show that you're putting out that's in question. And look, you're not wrong. I mean, for example, just today I was looking at info about the new Spider-Gwen series. I think it's called Smash. And don't get me wrong. You know, every time I wander into a comic book store, I wind up walking out with at least five and six different, you know, uh, you know, you can't get, it's, it's, as you mentioned, you know, the cover catches your eye or it's, Ooh, I, you know, that looks like an interesting story with that character. And then, you know, of course the challenge is you read the book and if you like it, you know, it's like, okay, I want the next one of, of this and how do I get that? But if you're a Bob Iger, and again, you're looking at that $70 billion that, 
you know, you paid for Fox. And let's be honest, when Comcast stepped in and entered that bidding war, they basically forced Disney to pay like $20 billion more than they had originally wanted to pay for Fox. So they're saddled with crushing debt. And they are desperate to get that back under control. And so what would be helpful in a situation like that is to have another Infinity War, an endgame, you know, a one-two punch of a sort of thing you have to go to the theater to see. And, and you had such a good time, you have to go back. And just the feel right now is with there being so much Marvel-related product you know, and the notion that if I'm really going to understand what's going on in what Avengers, the Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret War, I have to watch all of this. And yeah. is that doable anymore? Well, that the you know, having everything linked together after a while, it does feel kind of like homework of like, I just can't understand all of this stuff mm -hmm. that's happening. And uh, yeah, that can be a problem. However, mm -hmm. on the flip side. If you're going to have like Hugh Jackman showing up and if you're yes. going to even have a Patrick yes. Stewart showing up mm -hmm. at some point down the road, yep. please, people at Disney, just remember that you've got like, you know, what, 20, 30 years of freaking Marvel movies that haven't really been linked up officially yet that you're going to be able to resell real quick. Mm -hmm. People are going to want to rebuy those again. As soon as Hugh Jackman comes back into the movies and Patrick Stewart and it's officially tied into the MCU, they're like, oh, crap, I got to go buy that movie again. I sold it 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I got to go get the new shiny copy and it will have extra special features about how they convinced Hugh Jackman to come back mm -hmm. and all that stuff to make it worth buying again. So, yeah, I mean, they're saddled with all that Fox debt, but they haven't really milked that damn cow very well yet since they bought it. Okay, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but... If we circle back to what Bob Iger said earlier, the a whole different set of Avengers, and and again, just just what you mentioned about you know, uh, in fact, I think we mentioned on on last week's show about how you know Kevin Feige did the full court press to make sure that Hugh Jackman would be part of Secret War, and mm. and and don't get me wrong, you know that I would love to see an Avengers that that featured Wolverine. Let me ask you this. Didn't we at one point have rumor of uh, before it was revealed that we we're going to have Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars? Wasn't there the rumor of a Young Avengers movie with like a Kate Bishop character and uh, Yelena Belova and, and all of the younger, I don't want to call them kids, but you know, the younger people so far? That one I actually keep hearing as they are crunching budgets for upcoming projects and, and things are getting, you know, for example, we were talking about Armor Wars being changed from a, a limited series to a theatrical release. The Young Adventures actually has really hung in there. And one of the, the, the thinking on that is, you know, again, what, what Iger said here, you know, we, do, we, do, we want new characters and we also want affordable actors. Folks that have just started making films for the MCU, uh, you know, aren't pulling a Robert Downey Jr. size check yet. Right. So that's the whole notion of, I like that idea. That looks affordable. Well, I mean, the, that whole concept of you don't have to pay him as much, mm -hmm. that can be true even if they're not filming Young Avengers. And so my idea behind it was maybe they'd scrap the young 
part of Avengers mm-hmm. because it would be like um, we don't want the audience to think it's a completely different team. Mm-hmm. You, you want to kind of go back and have that familiar ground of I know there's going to be this small circle of characters mm-hmm. that everything hangs upon. Mm-hmm. And then we put a couple of young people with them. And so those are your, your new additions. And therefore you get like an entirely new Avengers cast. You don't push anyone away by calling it the Young Avengers because to some people that might be like, is this for kids? Um, is this a kiddie movie? Interesting point. And and you're still not going to have to pay them because that thing hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their weight in the industry, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just wondered if our Secret Wars, I mean, when we get to Kang Dynasty and, and Secret Wars, those are going to be Avenger team-up-like films. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they will feature the younger Avengers. We just won't call them. Or they might even make a comment in the movie. What are you guys, the young Avengers? Look at you kids. How old are you, 12? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they can reference it, but maybe just not call the movie, quote-unquote, young Avengers. Or they could go flip side with it and do a long drawn out series where they're in training learning to be a part of the team and and you know do six or eight episodes of that could go a lot of different ways yeah, no absolutely absolutely though interesting you mentioned avengers kang dynasty and it's important to remember that season 2 of loki is due to debut on october 6th and they they seem to just be flashing on the idea, like, oh, wait a minute, uh, Loki is six episodes. And, you know, again, debuts on October 6th. And we have the Marvels being released theatrically on November 10th, which, you know, so they'll be just five weeks into the run of Loki at that point. Do these people not have f-ing calendars? I What's going on? You know, but you, this is so basic. I, I I get that. I get that. But remember, you know, things got when when they pushed the Marvels out of its summer spot. So now, you know, it's one of these things. You in the very first week where they want people excited and going to the theaters to see the Marvels, they're also going to be doing the full court press to well, you cannot miss the season two finale of Loki, which by the way, we deliberately pushed into November because we want you to continue to subscribe to our streaming service. Push or no push, they still should have glanced at a calendar as a company and figured that out because that was a real dropping of the ball. Now, beyond that, do we know if Loki is going to be getting the Ahsoka treatment and being pushed out on Tuesdays at 9 p.m.? Are they dropping this whole Wednesday at three o'clock in the morning for East Coast timers? It gone forever. I think what they're again. You know, it's interesting you bring this up because the conversation I was having with somebody at Disney Plus is that they want to take a really close look at the data that comes in off mm-hmm. off of Ahsoka because again this was an experiment, a deliberate experiment. And which seemed to have worked well. I, you know, the, the Soka's gotten glowing reviews, and, and this seems to be a real bone of contention with Disney Plus subscribers to the effect of, you know, I wake up in the morning and the West Coast has seen this, and they're all excited and spoiling it for me. So right. it's geographical uh, whining is what it is, you know. The, the, a, a little bit, yeah. yeah. But, like, I, I was also thinking along the lines of why not come out swinging against terrestrial television as well? I mean, everyone's got a schedule. You know, you got your 9 o'clock news or whatever. And, and uh, if you actually put your show in prime time, mm-hmm. that kind of gives you just a little bit more clout just by based on the hour that you're being served. 
And uh, three o'clock in the morning always used to tick me off because I was like all the other idiots who's like, I just can't wait until I wake up naturally in the morning yeah. to watch the show. I got to set an alarm and get up in the middle of my sleep cycles. <sighs> and uh, I would literally do all of that to, to watch those shows. And that's just because I'm stupid. But it also is like, you know, Disney, you could put this out at a reasonable hour. I don't know why you feel it necessary to, to do this 3 a.m. thing and midnight for the West Coast. When uh, you're in the game, you're in the competition, you want eyeballs, put it out when people are awake. I get that. But again, the irony here is we were just telling a story about how Disney Plus and the studio side of Disney clearly didn't communicate. And so we have this, this moment where season two of Loki and... The Marvels are suddenly competing for the spotlight. Conversely, mm. though, the folks at ABC who, you know, frankly, are a little rattled by Bob Iger's recent talk about, yeah, well, I don't know if we do how long we're going to stay with legacy media, you know, the, the yep. terrestrial television. They're the ones who particularly were upset about Ahsoka dropping it at, at, you know, nine o'clock East Coast time because it's like because it's going to take away from their viewers. There we go. There we yeah. go. So that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, you're you're in a fight. It's like, you know, when I worked at a, a radio station, we had four radio stations. One was classic rock. Mm. One was active rock. You think they fought over the same man sometimes? Absolutely. Mm. But they felt that they were creating a wall of men mm. in their listening army. From the young age with the active rock to the old age with the classic rock. Mm -hmm. And so they would program together, understanding their role in the situation and knowing at the dividing line, there's going to be a little crossover where some people flip back and forth. Mm -hmm. And if you know that Ahsoka is going to be coming out, mm -hmm. create a special. Air it at 8 o'clock on ABC. Um, Let it run for an hour. Get your viewership there. Kick everyone over to, to Disney Plus for an hour for the, the streaming event. And then run some BS garbage that you don't care about for an hour. to Because you know you're going to drop your viewership a little bit for, for this Disney event that you're plugging. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then come back at 10 o'clock. Or well, it was a two-parter, two so you'd have to come back two hours later. Mm -hmm. And have a, a little chat with the cast about those first two episodes. You know, right? I, I would bet you if we weren't in the middle of a strike, you know, I bet you Kimmel would have been there with the cast to help push this. Exactly. Yeah. Again, it's an interesting time and, and you bring up some interesting ideas. But but at the same time, there's this myth about Disney, you know, this this giant media conglomerate. And the reality is Disney is actually... 30 plus little companies that all have their own agendas that frankly have ridiculous turf wars or don't talk to one another and as often as not you know work at cross purposes so the, the very thing we're talking about here though that said i in fact i i meant to chase this down prior to recording uh, this week's episode i i was fascinated when they made the decision on two Sundays in a row to run all six episodes of Ms. Marvel back to back. And I, I, in fact, I was looking to chase down the numbers to see how well that did, especially since one of the things they did repeatedly during that three hour block was throw up ads for the Marvels to the effect of, hey, mm -hmm. you're enjoying this character, you're enjoying the story. It continues in November. And speaking of continues, folk, when we get back from this break, uh, we are not just going to talk about how Chris Evans' version of Captain America is coming back to the MCU, sort of, but we're also going to talk about the original Rogers the Musical. And no, not the one at the theme park. 
So we were talking about how Chris Evans's version of, of Captain America is coming back to the MCU. And what I mean by that is season two of What If is actually going to follow up on the tail end of the story that we saw in, in season one of What If, where Captain Britain, the character that Haley Atwell voices in the show, uh, Peggy Carter, they had discovered the giant Iron Man power suit uh, that Steve Rogers uh, had been in. And this is sort of the follow-through storyline for that season. And the Funko Pop figures that key off of What If Season 2 are at least now orderable. And people are sort of learning probably more than they, they would want to know out ahead of season two of What If, thanks to the versions of Steve Rogers and the like that are out there right now. So I'm just going to caution you, if you don't want to know too much about season two, What If in advance, which by the way, the most recent piece of information I have is this show is going to drop between the Echo limited series and Ironheart. So first quarter of 2024, but beyond that, I don't have all that much info about it. So if, if you want to stay in the dark about season two, what if probably not a good time to go into Hot Topic. I'm trying to figure a way to work in the old joke of track number 14 is called Death of Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yes. You got a very subtle. Good choices. Yes. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of not great news, uh, I know there were a lot of us who did not manage to make it out to California this summer. And we're really hoping that Rogers the Musical, uh, which is playing at the Hyperion Theater uh, at Disney California Adventure Park, you know, four performances a day. And they were really hoping that the show would extend beyond its August 31st close date. And sadly, the news coming out of Disneyland Resorts Entertainment Office is there will be no extension. In fact, Evidently, uh, attendance hasn't been what the, they had hoped because they've actually stopped doing the virtual queue for the next week or so. I guess it's just standby only. The audience drop-off was greater than the kid playing Peter Parker and Spider-Man turned off the dark. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that many theater references, Jim. Okay. I got to go with what I know. Okay, okay. Well, speaking of, of theater references, when, when we originally brought up Rogers the Musical on this podcast, there were a number of, of theater fans who reached out who wanted to remind us that Marvel seriously tried to get a Captain America musical up and running in the late 70s, early 80s. This thing got written about in the New York Times in, in its April of 1985 edition. It had kind of an interesting take on Captain America. The story uh, was supposed to start out with the superhero challenged in the opening moments of this thing because his, his girlfriend, who is a candidate for president, is captured by terrorists and held hostage in the Lincoln Memorial. And eventually it's revealed that the villain that Captain America is going up against is a cosmetic CEO uh, named Jay Peters, who, by the way, was going to be played by Cleavon Little, the sheriff from Blazing Saddles. And this show, Aaron, was cast. In fact, John Cullum, 
uh, who was a longtime Broadway star. I mean, he did Shenandoah. He did On the 20th Century. I mean, uh, he he was the star of the original Broadway production of On a Clear Day, You Can See Forever. I mean, he was cast as Captain America in this thing. And the article in the New York Times lists five and six of the songs that were written for this show. We have Fly the Flag, Into the Gym, Nobody Asked Me to Lead a Parade This Year. <laughs> so, but they had two female TV stars of the era, Linda Lavin, who played the, the title role in the Alice sitcom, and Cloris Leachman, who, again, uh, you know, a lot of us know from Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein, Frau Booker. <laughs> they were up for the Sharon Phillips role, the, the female presidential candidate. But Marvel was doing a full court press on this thing. And, and, you know, they were talking about how this is essentially a love story about a man who's always been strong, independent, even macho, and a sensitive, assertive, bright political woman. The problem was the budget for this musical. And again, they had the cast in place. They had the songs written. But they needed $4 million dollars. This thing was so far along in production, it was going to be taken out of town in the fall of 1985 and then come back into uh, New York and debut on Broadway just around the holidays, you know, with the notion of, hey, you want to do something great for your kids this Christmas, buy them tickets to see Captain America on Broadway. And they did all sorts of performances for investors and they could never raise the full $4 million. And over time, John Cullum, in fact, what's kind of interesting, I know a lot of folks out there have to be fans of the CBS show, The Northern Exposure. It was one of these things where it's like, okay, I have bills to pay. So he took the role of the uh, Hollings, uh, Vincover. The, uh, he was the, the older man with the much younger wife who mm -hmm. ran, I, I want to say, the bar in town. And he stayed with that show for, I want to say, five years, six years. I mean, it was a, a steady paycheck. Uh, and he, he then returned to New York and did more stage work. In fact, he was in the original company of Urine Town. But yeah, the Captain America musical never quite closed the deal. Yeah, I can see the musical kind of falling apart just because it's not something you think of with uh, Captain America busting out in a song and dance. However, mm -hmm. I do think that Marvel would look fabulous as an Ice Capades show <sighs> because you're zipping around real fast. You're doing tricks. That kind of lends more to super heroic kind of energy. And uh, yeah, for some reason, I just think that might hit the spot well you know it's so interesting you say this and this is something we're gonna have to go back and revisit but the, the feld organization the folks who actually do disney on ice when disney bought marvel in 2009 the feld people actually went to disney and said hey how would you feel about doing an arena show? And now it wasn't Marvel on ice, but it was, I mean, it would, it would literally follow Disney on ice into various venues. And they, they did this huge effects heavy show with people in full Marvel costumes and all sorts of pyro and stunts. And mind you, there were only two seasons of it. 
But for the two seasons of the show, they, they produced two programs, which I, I chased down on eBay. And they, it, Aaron, it's just fascinating because they, they did, for example, a Hulk costume, you know, which, you know, get a performer in an oversized outfit to sell the idea of a real Hulk in the arena. But again, you're not wrong. You know, the, the Feld organization thought that was a great idea themselves. And they spent all this money to develop it. And they took it all the way around the country and, and tried it out for two seasons. And it was kind of classic sort of Disney mind speak. It's like they made money, but just not as much money as they expected. And so it's right. like, eh. Kind of right. We tried. I mean, half the characters are already wearing capes. Mm -hmm. You just put them on skates and let them go zooming down the, the way and the cape goes flowing. You throw some heroic music on it and wow, the kids. I could I could see it doing decent. But yeah, I guess, you know, you, you got to market it. You got, you know, That's you're going it, yeah. from town to town and the investment of getting the word out there is quite a bit. Yeah. And, and in fact, if, if anybody's interested in chasing this down, the traveling show was called Marvel Universe Live! Exclamation point. So go check that out. And speaking about folks, Aaron and I are headed out the door here. But before we go, Aaron, I continue to enjoy 32nd Street, largely because I, I have a perverse fascination in, in all forms of advertising. And mm -hmm. you and your partner on the show have done such a great job of kind of shining a spotlight on the, on the less savory side of, of advertising and marketing and, and what goes on on Madison Avenue. So what are you going to be horrifying me with when uh, this week when I, I listen to your show? You're going to be horrified by the fact that uh, this week's show is basically a rehash of this show. <laughs> okay. I did a reading of Bob Iger's tea leaves oh. in the show. Okay. And it, it's the fact that, uh, you know, he showed up on Apple's stage to help unveil the Apple Vision Pro augmented oh, reality headset. Yes. And he was talking about how, you know, Disney Plus will be available on day one. And it, it, the demo that they showed had you kind of sitting on Tatooine surrounded by Jawas going, Utini! And uh, while you're watching, like, Grogu flying through space or whatever in, in The Mandalorian. And so... There, you know, he was excited about that prospect, but you know, we're talking here on this show about the heavy Fox debt acquisition debt that they've got to figure out a way to get rid of, and mm -hmm. ABC, you know, like, do we do we want to sell them? And we can't really sell them to a lot of other media companies because then you have a, a problem with a monopoly. And so, what about Apple? Apple needs content. They've got Apple TV Plus. ABC could be go from the American Broadcast Company to the Apple Broadcast Company. Toot sweet. Hmm. So uh, yeah, we uh, we talk about a lot of the things that we talked about on this show tonight. Except I just go way over in the deep end, and we talk about you know who's making money in the streaming circle and uh, how things could merge and change in just the next couple of years, depending on how. All of this stuff shakes out. So, yeah, yeah that's our show on 32nd Street this week, a continuation wow. of this conversation, basically. Okay, well, cool. Then, then, folks, definitely go check that out. It's fun, it's informative, and, and, and again, it's Aaron, so it's got an edge. Okay, um, <laughs> and speaking of which, again, this is one of the, the edge is one of the reasons I enjoy 
follow you on the social media. So can you tell the nice folks where they can find you on social media? Yep, still on Twitter, at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Doesn't matter what you call it, I'll still be at the same handle. Okay. Uh, speaking of social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Also want to remind you, we have a couple of other podcasts here, which we'd love you to check out. Uh, we have, of course, Disney Dish, I do with Lentesta. We have Fine Tuning, I do with Drew Taylor, and we already talked about his Mission Impossible podcast. We also have Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gunn, who, by the way, we're, we're going to be talking about the two new episodes of Ahsoka that just dropped. And let's see, what else? Oh, oh, oh yes. Also want to remind you about Len and Mai's new project, which, by the way, Aaron has been doing a lot of heavy lifting on. You've been part of this since we started it two years ago, right? Yeah, I thought childbirth was only nine months. <laughs> I don't know how this ended up into a two-year ordeal, uh, but let's just get it over with and get that baby out and get those pictures to, so everybody can go, look at our baby. Yeah, look go. at our baby. Well, I Elaine, you got to see the baby. <laughs> Ooh, that's an ugly baby. <laughs> wow, you're, you're doing such a good job of, of helping to sell our first video show, Aaron. Thank you. All right, yes, the ugly baby of which Mr. Adams refers to is Dizzy Packed. Uh, and like I said, first ever video series, which by the way, uh, Len, Aaron, and I are producing in collaboration with Jim Shule, who spent 30 plus years uh, working at Walt Disney Imagineering, creating some of your favorite attractions of the parks, uh, things like Rock and Roller Coaster and Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. And we will be launching this show shortly. So if you don't want to miss out, head on over to Disney Unpacked on YouTube and subscribe. And if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also uh, 32nd Street, that would be great. And if you really, really, really like what you hear here, if you want to go to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool too. I think that's going to do it for tonight. So thanks again for listening, and Aaron and I will be back soon.